Welcome to the Sorry-Eyed Effect. I'm Steph. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jen. On this podcast, we'll be chatting about all things Williams Syndrome. The ups and downs. And what it's like living with Williams Syndrome. We're excited to share our community with you. Thanks for being here. How are you? Good, Jen. How are you? Happy September. Yeah. Happy September. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. This kind of last few episodes, we've been focusing on school-related topics, but you're so lucky. You don't have to be in school anymore. Do you feel lucky? Um. Yeah. You know, lucky to an extent. <laughs> school, a lot of people... With Williams Syndrome, like school, did you enjoy like school? Parts of it, you know, parts of it were better than some of the other parts, you know. So I'd enjoyed it to an extent, you could say. What was your favorite class? Music, always what? music, music or chorus. You know, it's where I could relate to most of the people you know when we were in class together out, outside of class it was it was a bit different you know yeah it's shocking that you're in a band now <laughs> what was your favorite class jen oh what was my favorite class dude i don't know um actually can i tell you guys a quick story this is a quick story my mom just passed away a couple months ago i was at my dad's house the other day cleaning their closet i found a report card for my brother and i i had this vision that i was a pretty good student and i was not I don't know. It was a very surprise. So I, I, I worked a lot in school and I think that was evident in my grades. Yeah. <laughs> um, but school is very important for me as a parent now for my kiddo, Stella. And today our guest, she, Lenny is so awesome that this is just going to be the whole episode. We're just going to plop it in here. Just like we, like we made it. Shout out to Michelle. Yeah. So Michelle self is, she is informed. Formally, formally now um, on the WSA consultant team as the IEP transition consultant. She is our advocate that we use um, personally for Stella and our IEP journey. She has a lot of experience. She's worked for over 20 years with students with disabilities, um, with Williams syndrome specifically. And has Williams syndrome. Her son. Yes, has Williams syndrome. She has a PhD in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis on special education. Um, and most recently, until she and her family moved to Disney, she was an adjunct professor at Bowling Green State University. Um, Michelle is awesome. I think you guys are going to love hearing what she has to say about IEPs. Um, this episode was just like chock full of like little nuggets, don't you think? Oh my God! Yeah, nugget after nugget after nugget. It was it was great. Yeah, it was it was. Um, this is just you guys. It's good. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Um, let us know what you think. Okay. Until then. Go hearts. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. How Hello. are you? We're great. So. Um, for those who don't know who you are, why don't you tell uh, everyone about yourself and what you do? Okay, well, I'm Michelle, and 
I have a 23-year-old son with Williams syndrome, but I also, once he was starting kindergarten, I decided I wanted to be up on education. I kept hearing the word inclusion. I wanted to understand it. So I went back and got a PhD in curriculum and instruction and became a college professor. So I taught for many years at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And one of the things I taught, I taught early childhood education, special education majors, how to write IEPs and how to evaluate their students and how to write that triannual, their part as teachers, the triannual. So I would do that. I would teach two or three classes. I was an adjunct professor and I would teach two or three classes each semester. And then I also would work with families. And so I started, gosh, it's been probably 15 years or so, um, really working with families from all over the place. I was living in Ohio at the time. So I did lots of different types of disabilities, but also Williams syndrome became, you know, my area because I had a son with Williams syndrome and I still have him. (laughs) And so he, um, so I slowly did a lot more families, worked with a lot more families with Williams syndrome. So I've worked across the country and actually overseas. I've looked at a couple IEPs um, from other countries also, they don't call it an IEP, but the same information is there. Right. And um, so I, I've worked with hundreds of families. Now I have IEPs, several drawers of them, file drawers filled with just families with um, kids with Williams syndrome. Um, so it's fun. I enjoy it. I And recently I started working with the WSA as a contract employee doing advocacy. So if you need help, I can provide two hours of looking at IEPs, attending your meeting, helping you out in any way that you want um, through the WSA. So please, I'm always willing. Awesome. Thanks, Brendan. So um, Michelle is actually our advocate that we use here uh, for Stella. And we're so thankful to have you. I, we were trying to remember when you first when you first came into our lives, but I, I think it was somewhere at where around Stella being in second grade. And I would just say to those that are listening, um, whether you have a great education team or you have a lot of opportunities in terms of education, having an advocate, I think, is so critically important. Um, I've learned a lot from you in terms of um, how to work with education teams. I've learned a lot about what Williams Syndrome students all over the country are doing um, and kind of where to push and where to bite my um, bite my lip. It's hard though, isn't it? It is hard, but I think that um, having all that to say, having somebody at the table that is not a parent, but has a background either in Williams syndrome, in advocacy for disabilities, um, or has a background in teaching is so very important because I feel like I could say something to a teacher or an education team and they just look at me like the crazy mom, but then Michelle says it in a, you know, wonderfully eloquent way. And they're like, oh yes, that totally makes sense to us. All that to say, have you seen that across the country? Like, it feels like having another person at the table um, that's on your side, that is helping advocate for your child is just a game changer. Unfortunately, I do. I, you know, people say, well, they didn't talk to me that way before you came into the meeting. And it's like, it's unfortunate because they should respect you and what you're saying about your child, because you do know them the best. 
don't go to the meetings by yourself that, you know, that's, I, I can't imagine even as a parent that had the education and the advocacy background ever attending meeting by myself. So I think that's important. Hey, Brendan, did you ever attend your IEP meetings? I did. Um, it was rough. <laughs> yes, it's rough. Uh, and we did that, Alex, you know, my son, we started in high school first, just having him come in to talk about what he wanted out of school and then eventually he got so he would stay the whole meeting. But, you know, certain when it's when it was controversial and we've started doing that with Stella, too. Don't we have Stella in yep. our meetings for short, at least a short time? It's yeah. easy yes. now that they're Zoomed that, you know, like they don't have to yeah. be in a room with everybody. Um, but it is it's important, at least when they're middle school, high school, by high school, we really need to have. Don't you agree, Brendan, that they need to be in the meetings? They at most Definitely. Yeah. For part of it. You know, I look at what do the parents want and what, you know, what, what are their long-term goals? What do the parents want? You know, where, where is the student when I, you know, I, some students I don't start working with till they're in high school. Some students I start working with when they're in preschool. Um, so it's, you know, looking across and saying, what, what is our goal? And sometimes inclusion might not be fully included every class all day long. It might be a part of it. Um, so that they can get that reading help or they can get the math help. It might look different, but I will work with a family and sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. And we've, I've had some successes, which are, I look at them now, I've got students that are in high school that I started with them when they were in preschool, kindergarten. And, you know, and I went to their meetings and, you know, uh, they were like in a self-contained class and the mom's like, I don't want that. I want them in, you know, included. I want them in regular classes. And we, you know, the, the first teacher's like, this is not going to work. You know, they can't write. <laughs> I'm like writing has nothing to do with being in a class. No. And we right. would work with them. And by the next year, it was a little bit better. And by the next year, and now the students in high school and, you know, they're like, he's in the right place. You're right. You know, they're, they're like, you don't want him in any other classes. You want him in these co-taught, these great classes we've got, right? We're like, oh, absolutely. Um, in junior high, they said, oh, they don't do co-taught classes at this particular school. And we're like, all right, well then he'll just attend regular classes. Co-taught are when you've got a gen ed teacher and a special ed teacher in the same class together. Yep. So that you've got two teachers that can kind of piggyback each other and they can help all the students, not just the student on an IEP. Um, and when it's done really well, you don't know which is which. You, you know, the teachers work together and they teach together. When I'm working with a family, the first thing I look at is, placement. You know, the goals are important, but where they're getting, spending most of their day to me is the most important piece because you learn so much in a regular classroom. And if it's only for, you know, specials or electives or whatever it is, then we want to make sure we're getting the most out of those. You know, if that's what the family wants, well, we want to make sure we're getting the most out of it. So I really look at that placement, where are they getting their education? And then we move to the goals, the accommodations, the modifications, because those accommodations, you know, like getting their paperwork in advance or getting somebody to write for them, things like that. You know, I went through Partners in Policymaking, which is a national group too. Um, I had gone through that in Ohio before I started my PhD. So I learned about inclusion and IDEA does not mention inclusion. Any 
there, the word inclusion is not there. Least restrictive environment is though. And so that's what you have to use as the, you know, the buzzword to say, well, the least restrictive environment. Um, in elementary school, for those that are listening that have kids that are in elementary school, it's really important to evaluate if your child is getting um, services, if they're pull-out services, like Michelle was saying, where they go into a resource room, or if if they're push-in. But I think the push-in services are better um, for all the reasons that you stated, Michelle. Like the, the kids are in the classroom. They're doing the classroom work that the other kids are doing. They're not getting that, continuing to widen that gap. There are ways to make those modifications and accommodations dynamically within the classroom to keep somebody within curriculum and give them the extra support that they need. Can you suggest, Michelle, like to the, the group, just advocacy wise, like things that you see in IEPs that you go, you know, I know these things are helpful for our kids, generally speaking. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out too, is you can call an IEP meeting at any time. So if you listen yeah. to this and you go, oh, I want things changed, but we had a meeting last week or our meeting's not due till February. You can call a meeting tomorrow and say, you know, I'm requesting and do it in an email so that you have documentation showing you requested it. But you can request, you know, send it to the special ed, whoever the case manager is, send it to the principal and say, I want an IEP meeting. You know, I listened to a podcast and I think that we need to make some changes. So just be aware that you have that ability to make that. And a lot of parents don't understand that they can. They can call that meeting at any time. So please we don't. feel bad about it. But you don't because this is your child. Um, because you're also, I always look at it as if I'm calling meeting, I'm there also, I'm helping the teacher because I'm explaining how things could work and do better and you know, that, hey, things aren't going quite right right now, but hey, if we do this, it'll it'll go better. So, you know, I'm there to, you know, give suggestions on how to improve things too. So don't ever feel bad that you're calling a meeting. I mean, I have had it in some families where there was such bad communication when the school that we wrote in an accommodation that there would be monthly meetings um, that, you know, that we're going to meet monthly. And then if they call the meeting and the parents don't feel they need it, parents could cancel. Right. And say, you know, hey, we don't need one this month. Everything's going fine. But if they've got it on the books, you know that it's going to happen. And they were short. They weren't, you know, the three-hour meetings or anything like that or two-hour meetings. They were, you know, 30-minute meetings because we're catching things as they're happening. So, for one, just realize you can have that meeting. Accommodation-wise, obviously, the paper-pencil piece is big that there are kids with Williams syndrome, adults that write fine, but it's few and far between. Mm. Um, also, they just, a lot of them don't get that muscle memory. So they're always sitting there thinking, okay, how do I make an A? How do I make, you know, it just takes them longer even to write something. And in the meantime, they're missing stuff on the board or they're missing, you know, they're taking so long that they're going to write a sentence that's the shortest sentence they can write because, um, you know, I don't want to have to, you know, spend too much time writing a sentence. And, and I'm not, you know, Brendan, you may write just fine and love to write, but most people little chicken scratch. Little chicken, <laughs> well, and, and honestly, most and most people are, you know, use their computer, their phone, everything else to do it anyway. You don't, you know, I'm I still write because I'm old and you know that's still in my blood. But for the most part, people don't. I mean, we, you know, can use Alexa to help us with things. We can do all sorts of ways to never write. So 
you know, our kids need to start thinking that way. And, you know, parents need to start thinking that way early on. They can still work on having, I believe, a signature is important. Um, yep. You need a signature, right, Brendan? Yeah. Uh, because you do need to, like, your IDs and you do need to sign paperwork for work and things right. like that. But other than that, you can pretty much get away with not writing. So getting that signature, and it does not have to be beautiful, because I'm guessing that most of us don't have, like, the perfect signature. Um, but it, it just, it's consistent signature. Right. After that, then you really should be thinking about how do I accommodate the fact that handwriting is going to be tough. So like, you know, now with Stella in seventh grade, you know, they have to take notes a lot of times in seventh grade. So for a seventh grader, it would be getting a copy of the notes so that they can at least follow along and highlight and teaching them what keywords to highlight. Um, But having it in front of them versus them looking at a board up ahead, Um, getting, you know, study guides in advance so that they know exactly what to study. Yeah, I always um, thought they, that study guides were super important and super helpful, you know, because then focus, right? Help you focus, not be so stressed out about it, you know, be able to like breathe and be like, oh, okay, this is what they were actually talking about. So I could focus on what right and know what and if by the time we got to high school, we tell them we wanted the study guide with answers. And that we would keep the answers. He could just have the study guide so that we would know whether he was like studying the right stuff or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because I got tired of reading the novels because I we I would read every novel Alex had to read so that I could ask him the questions and things. But I, you know, I, I had other things to do and I didn't want to do it anymore. So asking for those when they're younger, things that I look for and in, in, all the way through school, if they do have para support, making sure there's not a chair right next to them so that that para can't sit on top of them. Don't you agree, Brendan? You don't want an adult. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't be part of the class if you've got an adult attached. Independence is very important. Absolutely. And, you know, and we want that for our kids to be as independent as they possibly can. And it's going to look different for each child, um, for each adult, but we want them, uh, you know, to, to live their best life. Um, You know, and that's one of the reasons three days in advance, like they might give everybody a study guide on the day before, but it takes longer sometimes to process information. Plus you might have therapy, you might have, you know, dance class. You know, you're worn out after your dance class. So you don't want it the day before. And that happens to be dance day and, you know, and dance or whatever your, you know, extracurricular activities are, are important. Um, we never wanted him to miss out on any extracurriculars because, oh, you've got to study for a test tonight. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that's why we also ask for stuff in advance. Right. Like back then when I, you know, in high school and stuff, if I got like a study guide, like the day before, it would be a full send for me. Like yep. it just would be right through the roof. And, you know, I was going through a lot of health problems as it is, you know, I lost 25 pounds due to stress. I mm-hmm. had a cardiac catheterization and spent five days in the hospital. Um, I was being bullied a lot. So just all of that with you know the schoolwork in of itself it was really tough right your points that's a lot to deal with it is and we taught like the amount of schoolwork we would we finally got so we would say all right you know let's have him do what he needs to so that he understands the material he doesn't need to do 
25 math problems. And usually the last two are like to test your knowledge to see if you can go above and beyond. My husband go, he's not doing those. But you know, we want him to understand what he needs to to do well, you know, in math, but he's he, we're not he's not going to be a math genius. So we don't need to do those last couple problems. You don't need to, you know, try to trip him up on stuff. Um, trip him up on what's going on. You know, he, it, we had teachers that would try to like say, well, we'll give him the study guide the day before, but he can take the test three days later after his peers take it. Well, that doesn't work because then they're missing something to That's go take the test while every, you know, because everybody else is, you know, in class doing something and they're pulled out then to take the test. Make it's like, that no. makes sense to me. No, right. that, that doesn't work. Now we did, one of the other things for taking tests though, he did take his test in another room by himself because he found that reading it out loud helped him to process it. Mm. That could make sure for attention issues too. And I've done this with other family, other kids that have just you know ADHD as their diagnosis that we put in there that they have to read the tests out loud or they need to be told they should be reading the tests out loud because you get lost in the sentences, you get lost in that paragraph. Mm -hmm. so reading it out loud would make sure that they were staying on task and they were reading it. And because our kids are so, um, sent, you know, the music, the sound, they're more audio learners Yeah, that, that helps them to process it by hearing it while they're doing it. So he would have to take his, which would force then that he takes his test by himself in a room. It, it's that type of thing that it really does help to process that audio processing. Um, when you say things out loud, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. And sometimes I, you know, I, you know, you're listening to people and you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, but you're not really listening to them. Um, but if you have to say it back, it helps. Um, I found that with kids, with younger kids with Williams syndrome that keep asking the same question over and over again. You've run into a few of those, Brendan. Um, that if yeah. you say, all right, well, tell me what I just said. And if they say it, then the, then it's in where otherwise they're going to keep asking you over and over. But if you say, hey, do this, they can. So, you know, it is, it's important that we look at, you know, if they have anxieties over the fire alarms, well, what can they get away with? Can they get away with just being the first one out of the classroom? Do they need earmuffs? Do they need to be told in advance? Like, seconds before because you can't tell them way in advance or they'll never get anything done that day you know yeah. what they need to make it work and you want the least you know the if, if getting them out uh, putting them in the front of the line and getting them out of the first is enough then that's all you want to do because you don't want to turn it into a big process where we've got to carry earmuffs around just in case it occurs in another room um but if if it requires, I mean, I've known students with Williams syndrome that have been able to be the, they pull them and they get to pull the alarm so that they have that feeling of control. You know, you want to have them doing what everybody else is doing, if that's all it takes. And then you work your way back to what, what do they really need? So that that anxiety piece, you're right, Jen and Brent and Brendan, that, you no, know, that's not taking over and it's affecting their education. Um, I also would say like, and IEPs, what I have learned by using an advocate um, is that, you know, like it's okay to ask for things, right? It's okay to ask, except for a meeting, because I feel bad about that, but I'm getting over that. Slowly. Please don't feel bad, Jen. Please don't. I'm like, oh God, I have to call a meeting. I don't want to. I really try not to, um, but it's, it's, like you think about these things, right? It's all these things that Michelle was talking about. And 
It's like, well, you know, my kid would learn better if we just did this one little thing. Well, ask, right? I mean, like, there's usually a solution. Maybe the school say, no, they can't do it. Maybe they'll say, yes, they can. Or maybe sometimes what often happens is there's an in-between, there's a compromise. Um, And all of the things that you're sharing overall, I think, are really, like, easy, creative ways to tap into how our students best learn. Um, And I... I would encourage those that are listening to this who are, you know, maybe you're not struggling with an IEP, but maybe you're not thinking, maybe you're not maxing out your, your kiddos capabilities, right? Like, let's look at that IEP again, where can we leverage strengths and make some tweaks, right? To vastly improve performance and retention and um, happiness, right? Um, And Again, if you're focused on inclusion, promote um, an effort of inclusion, you know, and and I think a lot of the tools and strategies that you're talking about, Michelle, are things that other kids with disabilities and or typical kids can use as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But, you know, it can't. I, you know, I don't sit there and go, oh, we must have a Williams syndrome list. Now, I I look at, you know, all right, what's really worked and what have I found that's worked over time with a lot of the students I've worked with? And, you know, and I've kind of put together some lists of here's some things or when you're transitioning, the transition piece has been an issue for lots of families, that high school and then graduating. And um, so I've I've been working on putting together a checklist um, for those years. But, you know, it's really looking at what do you want and how do you get there and you know, um, but, you know, it, it, it's working on that vision and then, you know, looking at the placement and some districts are really bad and they're like, well, this is where your child belongs. And, you know, so we go, well, if you're going to put them there, how about, you know, what classes could they be in, Jeanette? How, you know, how do we show you that that's really not the best placement? How do we provide you, get you to learn about supports? Um, And it might not happen the first year. It may be a process to get them to where, you know, they're included more often than not. Um, But we've worked, you know, I've worked with districts all over where we've, you know, we build that, you know, and and you don't want to, I personally, and when I first started, I was like, you know, that's the law and, you know, you need to do this. I've learned it works better if we can convince them that they want to be part of that team and look how this could be so amazing for you. You know, like you can make this work and how cool would it be for you to see her graduate um, and get a regular diploma. So it's trying to make them part of that team and see the, you know, and get excited about it. And so that's, I try to do that more often now than you know, say, well, that's the law and you can do that. You know, this is, they know I know the law. I mean, I throw buzzwords at them about uh, least restrictive environment and how are we going to make, you know, uh, provide the supports necessary for that least restrictive environment. So, you know, it's that type of thing that um, that we can really work with and try to make it a team so that, you know, like Jen, you said, now things go pretty well. You know, you're not pushing as hard as you had to. You're still tweaking. We always are tweaking. I mean, I tweaked all the way through till, you know, till I um, held the huge party when he graduated. Um, I told him there were going to be fireworks and then I didn't, you know, have fireworks because it's illegal in Ohio to have fireworks. Yeah. Um, go off at your home. But uh, but he does have lots of, he hates fireworks, by the way. So yeah. he really didn't want them. Um, and he has to hear them. And fireworks are a big thing for him. He does not like them. But yeah. 
go off at exactly the time that he gets off work every night when he's at work. So he carries loops, the little earbuds to put in his ears. And if he remembers them, he has them on. If he forgets them, he doesn't have them because I am not in charge of making sure he's got his stuff anymore. Um, that's his responsibility. So that, you know, but it's that inclusion all the way through. It's having those expectations. It's, you know, making sure that you're working towards things like you, Brendan, even, you know, not even, but your college program, you did, you really wouldn't have been prepared to go off because did you do the one in Massachusetts? I went to BHMA. Yeah. At BH, you wouldn't have been prepared to go live at BHMA if you hadn't, you know, worked on it all the way through school. Right. Uh, with what you know and have those expect you know your parents and you having those expectations that that you would be prepared to to go and do and so um but you know it's it, it is it's just and if you don't want to hold a meeting you can still send emails true very true i want to call a meeting but, jen i'm good at that i'm good at sending emails and texts very right. good at text. Well, text, I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of text for when you're, you're, you're sending them to the school because yeah, you've got them on your phone and you can track them, but it's much easier. Like if I end up being involved because, Hey, you know, I asked him for this stuff. It's easier to forward me the emails that were sent or to copy me on the emails. Even when, if I'm working with a family, I'll say, Hey, you know, if, if you're working on something and, you know, you don't necessarily need, think you need me involved. You can still copy me so I can see what's going on. Um, so it's easier through an email. And, the, and and you really, if you're contacting about like, hey, I want to send, uh, can something be changed on the IEP? Um, uh, definitely yeah, you definitely need to do it in, a, an, in an email so that the principal or special ed department can be involved in. Um, and, and sometimes they might say, hey, um, it's small enough. We can, you know, do a quick phone call and we might be able to add it or no, you know, that's going to require a meeting. Let's, you know, have a, a short meeting. Um, if that's all you're asking about, we can, you know, get an amendment to the IEP. IEPs can be amended at any time. Um, so that it's important that, you know, people know you don't have to wait a year. Mm. Yeah. Well, so the other thing that I think is, um, it's again, it's just my opinion, but um, I, I think it's important for, for parents of um, people with Williams syndrome to remember that, you know, life skills doesn't, life skills means that our kids can um, operate in the world, um, not around people with disabilities, right? So a lot of times, like our kids get into these classes and they're around all a group of other people with disabilities, right? But like, I am an advocate for inclusion, but I'm also an advocate for real life. And real life tells me that our kids are going to be out in the world with typical people more often than not. And we need to prepare them for that structure. Brendan, you're probably with, you know, typical people more than you are with people with disabilities. And you need to be able to like feel comfortable in those settings. Yeah, very true. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's what, you know, when they say, well, they need to learn life skills. I'm like, well, they're learning life skills in the classroom because you're learning to sit and listen to the teacher. You're learning when you can talk, you know, when when's the appropriate time to talk. You're learning how to, you know, you're required to get your school supplies together and get them out and have things done in a timely manner. And so you're learning all of those skills 
You might not be learning how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But to me, I, you know, Alex learned that on his own when he needed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I refused to make it. He, you know, has slowly gotten better at them. Um, but, you know, he can learn those things at home or at, at in the college program that he did because they eventually, you know, had to make food. So that, you know, he doesn't need to learn that in elementary school or even high school. You know, he was learning so many other things in high school. He took a lot of music classes because that's his interest. And, you know, he finally, he was like, you know, as other students were, you know, they'd be like the teacher's assistant um, in classes. And he was, he was a teaching assistant, um, for one of the choirs and he was a T he worked in the, the, um, oh, the counselor's office, like taking notes to people and, you know, because other people did stuff like that too. And he could work on his homework in between, but, you know, I, I wanted to make sure whatever jobs he was doing in high school were jobs that everybody else was doing too. And it was their way of learning, you know, like you doing homework teaches you just like at a job, Hey, you've got time to get things done and you've got to get it done at a certain time. And so, you know, that learning that timing piece that, you know, you're turning in your homework, you're showing up at a particular time, you're, you know, dressing for, you know, going to school. Well, you know, at, but he learned, you know, in high school, you know, you, you dress in a certain way and in college, you, you know, you dress less. Um, but, you know, he slowly learned, you know, the right way to, you know, make sure things are, you know, make sure your classes are clean. Um, just those things that that's those are life skills that you learn by being in a classroom. Uh, in a in a general ed classroom, you you know you learn a lot of life skills because and you know they refer to them as the the hidden curriculum in a school setting. Um, it's part of the curriculum, but it's the hidden curriculum. And they'll say um, a lot of times, you know, like a, a child, they'll say, well, you know, they they don't know to raise their hand. You know, they don't wait for other people. Well, if they're in a class of five or six, and some of them may not even be verbal, then how? Why would they ever learn to raise their hand or wait to talk or, you know, listen in on a conversation and know when to come in on a conversation? That's still hard for me. Um, but those types of things are hidden curriculum that, are, you know, is so important for for all people to learn. And so you don't learn that, you know, learning to stand in a line, um, wait your turn are important things for them to learn. You know, we did not let somebody go into the cafeteria with them in school because we're like, you know, he needs to learn to be able to go in a cafeteria. I don't, I don't want to have to be by him his entire life. Um, so those types of things were important that he learn. you know, what better place to learn to, you know, buy things, but in the cafeteria. Um, so, you know, by high school, definitely we were, you know, like saying, all right, you've got money on your card, go ahead. You know, you can buy, you know, items, every so often or whatever. Um, but, you know, that is a place that they can learn to spend money, uh, do things in a kind of controlled atmosphere. Um, so there's lots of ways to learn life skills without being- In the, in the general classroom. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, so you had mentioned that you're, you've come, you have always been a part of WSA, <laughs> but now you're more formally on as a consultant. Um, and the WSA offers to members, right, two hours uh, every IEP year. Is that right? Or just two hours one time? I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if it's one time. It's a good question. But it, I think it's one time. Uh, okay. 
is two hours and they get, get two hours of service and there's myself and then Robin Pegg is also um, doing education. So yes, they can contact my, there's an email address on the website um, and, you know, we'll work with you to figure out the best use of time and figuring out, you know, Hey, what do you need? I mean, I had a mom call me, not uh, uh, she doesn't have a child with Williams syndrome, but I worked with her a couple years ago and it's time for that triannual report. And she's afraid her child might not qualify um, after I talked to her, I really feel that she will, but we just talked through it. And she, you know, after like a half hour, she's like, you know, I feel so much better. I, I feel like yep. I can get into the meeting. Um, you know, I don't know that I need you in the meeting, but I know, you know, things to ask for. And then I told her if they don't agree what to do next, you know, what her next steps were. I said, you've got, there's ways to, um, to do things. And, you know, the next step is not I disagree due process. There's lots of steps in between that you can have. I, you know, I, there's mediation and it's across the country. IDEA says there'll be mediation available. Um, so several families with Williams syndrome, we've requested mediators in different states um, and used a mediator just so that the school is listening to us because sometimes they don't listen as well as they should. Um, even with me, they, you know, they choose not to, you know, they're like, well, this is the way we do it. Well, you know, if it, if I know that that's not really the law, then, you know, we'll say, Hey, well, we'd like to, we'd like to hold another meeting and have a mediator present um, because then they're not going to say, say that. Um, but there's mediation, there's complaints. If you know that your IEP is not being followed and it's pretty much black and white. You know, they're supposed to be doing this and they're not. Um, and I have in our district for my son, I think we wrote three um, over his, you know, 13 years, or I guess 15 with preschool. Um, it, you know, we had to write several because we had teachers that chose not to follow. And we talked to, you know, we didn't just say, well, write a complaint. You know, we talked to him and say, hey, you know, we're not getting this. We're not getting it. The study guide three days in advance and it lists that in the IEP and they would ignore it. And you know, and he's supposed to get papers like on the computer. You know, things are supposed to be available on the computer and they weren't. And so we finally, after we requested it a couple of times and in, in, in writing, then we, you know, we would write a complaint and say, hey, this isn't happening. Um, you know, we've tried. So, and then they usually bring in a mediator to mediate the complaint. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is awesome. This is all stuff that you are so amazing to help with. We should call you IEP consultant slash therapist because you are so, so just helpful. To the parents just to like bring them down, um, make it, you know. And, yeah, absolutely. And you can, you know, you can email me and I'll give you, you know, my phone number. And I, you know, I have no trouble with just talking to you and saying it's life is good. You know, you haven't messed up your child. Um, whatever program they're in, it's okay. You know, we might tweak it. We might change it eventually, but wherever they are, it's, it's all right. You know, I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, I screwed up and my child is, you know, hasn't gotten what they need. Um, don't ever feel that way because we're all doing the best we can for our kids. So that's not the case, but yeah, I, sometimes I do. I'm like, oh, therapy, Michelle. Um, and I have been doing the uh, the family support um, meetings. I have been doing the transition one, um, hosting it, hosting that for Joel and for the WSA, um, okay. the transition one. And occasionally I fill in for some of the others. But um, so even if you're in 
it's really high school, like, it, but if you're, tr you're looking at that transition piece into high school, um, by all means, it, you know, it's a good place to start to say, and I know at one point I saw on Facebook, everybody was like, oh no, my kid's going, you know, getting ready to go to high school. What do I do? Um, you know, I, I want to catch you before your kids in high school to like really make that transition piece good um, to make sure that if you're looking at college programs, they're really ready for a college program. If they're if you're looking at them doing getting a job as soon as that they're ready for that job when they graduate, because there's I do believe that extracurriculars are other kids. Brendan, did you do a lot of extracurriculars in high school? Excuse me. Um, I mostly did um, best buddies. Okay. Were you in band or choir? Oh, I was in I was in band. I was in chorus. Okay. Um, because to me, those are also those learning skills and those skill sets. Yeah. Uh, by being in band, being in choir, best buddies too. But it, it, looking at you know, like what are the best electives so that my child's ready when they graduate from high school? Do you believe it or not? But we are out of time. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're so amazing. We could just like keep going. Man, yeah. That would be awesome. Um, well, if, we up, if we come up with another topic um, or another day, but yes, I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed, I have not got to spend a lot of time with Brendan before Jen. I've had, you know, more conversations, so more time. Time. That's more so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, my email address is on the website, um, on the WSA website, I, you know, I'm happy to talk to any, um, any families. I zoom into meetings all over the country at this point. Um, so cool. I, I'm happy to either be in the meeting, pre-read things, whatever works best or, you know, whatever a family wants. Um, I work with them. So, um, thank awesome. you. Thank you. You've been listening to the starry eyed effect presented by the Williams syndrome association. The show is hosted by Jennifer Keaton, Brendan Lemieux, and Stephanie Karen, and produced by me, Joel Listman. Theme song by Tommy Barbarella and Mariella Elm. Got a question for the show? Email us at podcast at williams-syndrome.org. Video version of the podcast available on YouTube at the Williams Syndrome Association channel. Review us on Apple Podcasts and maybe it will get featured on a future episode. Make sure to like and subscribe to The Starry-Eyed Effect wherever you get your podcast delights.